Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Adrian Tan Show. And today we have a very special guest who shares some interesting commonality with me, which I'll touch on a bit later. But before that, welcome onto the show, Cassandra. Hi, Adrian. Thanks for having me today. I'm very excited to be on the show with you. And also, yes, I also realized you have some similarities. And the commonality that I'm talking about here is the fact that you started this business. I would say somewhat perhaps due to the layoff that happens beforehand. And that is also what happened to me in 2004. I did not technically got laid off because, but during that period of time, it was quite a tense period. I was working in a company that actually sells spare parts to airliners. This was 2003. And then SARS came along. SARS came along, nobody did airplane. So the company wasn't doing that well. The MD held an emergency meeting to tell us, don't worry, everything is going to be okay. One week later, he resigned. So I'm like, oh no, I think I'm going to get laid off again because prior to that, I was in a couple of dot-com <laughs> and it's just lay off after lay off. So I thought I'm going to score a hat trick here. And of course, it got me thinking, how can I make sure that I never get laid off again? And the naive me was like, hey, start a business. Lah. So that was how it came about. How about your story? How did it come about? The whole big tech restructuring that happened last year actually is still happening today. Unfortunately, I was in a B2B sales company and there was also pretty weak product market fit where I was. And I'm not sure whether Adrian, you probably know, given that you are in this space, that there's really no point in having a marketing team. Market your product if the product market fit is weak, right? That's when the company also made the decision to, to let the entire marketing function go. And at that point in time, I was also thinking, I can either go back to corporate or I could start my own. To be honest, I have already, I always thought about starting my own consultancy business, mainly because, because I previously came from, I led marketing teams at food tech and travel tech companies previously. And I always thought that something that is lacking in agencies today is the fact that sometimes they really, of course not all, but sometimes at least the one that I work with do not really understand the DNA of working uh, for a tech firm or even marketing for a tech firm. So I wanted to come out and I, and because I, when I, before, before the layoff, I was a very comfortable position, a very high opportunity cost when, when I wanted to start my own thing. Because immediately your salary would be like, go all the way down, right? So that's when I thought, hey, maybe, I mean, it's now or never. I have great people who was also facing the same situation as me, also being laid off. And I just thought maybe we can come together to create a consultancy agency that bridges that marketing expertise get in tech companies out there. So that is how it came to be. It's been, not just now you meant you use the word naive, I would say I was also a little bit naive. Marketing for tech is very different yeah. from marketing in other industry. Could you elaborate more on that? How different is it and how would it shows in your strategy and education? I have had like more than 12 years of marketing and partnerships experience in various industries. I started out in real estate which, and then after I moved on to FMCG and I really started my tech experience in Foodpanda when they were two years old. At that point, I really nobody knew about and when I came in, it was really about educating the public about the fact that you no know, food delivery is not only is on if food delivery is not only by McDonald's, Burger King, Pizza Hut, it, food panda also can do food delivery to a lot of other restaurants out there. So that was my job, educating the public. So from then on, I've always been in tech, food panda, TripAdvisor, and of course the more recent B two B sales company. And what I think was really interesting is, I think. At least my experience in a tech startup, there's a lot of focus in driving revenue, uh, driving conversions, a lot of focus in the bottom of the funnel kind of metrics, right? Which could, might not be the same 
in a bigger organization or in a more traditional setting where when marketers generally do or generally look at top, more, more up of the funnel metrics like your brand awareness, your, your website visits, your impressions, your eyeballs. So it's a very different, I would say quite different in terms of the funnel. And of course, being startups, I've been so many startups. I've also spoken to so many startups right, as my, in terms of my clients today. They are always trying to see what is the best ROI to drive growth. What is the best ROI to get more revenue? And that's the way I think that's a let's lah. Um, because I think there's more emphasis on conversions. Yeah. So one of the things that I realized you offer would be this thing called fractional marketing. And this term fractional is something that I also apply onto myself. Yes. And interestingly, it came about after a conversation with someone. Initially, I do not even know this word exists. So I call myself part-time. <laughs> which is also quite similar. Mm. But then when my contact was telling me, oh, so you're fractional. I was thinking like, oh, fractional sounds more sexy. Leh. Yeah, maybe I should change to fractional. But for audience who may not be familiar, could you elaborate? What is your personal definition of fractional and how does it differ from, say, a part-time? Our fractional marketing services generally with our clients, it would be marketing our market expertise on a part-time basis. But we are experienced, right? I think compared to part-timers, or in fact, some people like to compare us to uh, freelancers or even consultants. It's also interesting and I, the term fractional has also just exploded into popularity, I guess, in US during COVID period. And then I also have, because I was at TripAdvisor during a period of time, right? And I do have American colleagues, right? So I also start to know about this concept. But I realized in Singapore, it's not that. The education around fractional leadership or fractional teams isn't that, that widespread yet. But then what I would say, there are also people asking me, so what's the difference between you and a consultant, right? I would think that, I think first and foremost, because generally the term fractional is, what I realize is they generally have worked at startups before. They come with a lot of experience. Unlike a freelancer, they sometimes could just be your executioner, right? Or like your hands and legs, right? But at least as a fractional marketer, you come with experience, you set the goals alongside your clients and because you, are, you have been in that space before, right? You also work, work towards that goal. I think so one thing that I realized is the accountability of that goal with your clients instead of just being their hands and legs to execute. So I think that that's one thing that is probably quite a clear difference. I've also read up about other fractional leaders working on being a fractional leader themselves. And I think one thing that they commented was the fact that these people are baked into your team. They are not the contractors, right? They actually sit down with your, with your team, really trying to understand a problem, trying to come up with something together and work towards a goal, right? In terms of how we execute. I would say there's a difference. Yes, the key difference would be really you are embedded into the team. You, I would say you are treated no different than an employee. But of course, your relationship with the company is more of a supplier-customer kind of thing. So there's good and bad to it. The good thing is I can cycle through different projects. Mm. Things will always be fresh. If I'm sick of one, I can go to another one. If I don't like this customer, I can drop it and then move on to another one after my contract is over. Of course, with all good, that's also bad. Lah. Like for instance, actually right now, uh, I'm on one month hospitalization leave after my surgery. But next day, I have to start working on it. So, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'm okay. so sorry to hear good, that. It's a waste. Lah. I cannot apply the one month MC. I never got that one month MC before. <laughs> but that's another story altogether. 
So I, I want to understand though, when it comes to all this fractional work, would, is there something that perhaps other industry might be open to as well, in your opinion? Today, even when I take talk to some founders in the tech sector, right, I tell them I offer our marketing service on a fractional basis. Some of them ask me, oh, what is that? And I'm interested to know more because I think there's a term that they are not that familiar with. With that said, I would also say that I, did, I spoke, I also did spoke to FMB companies because that's where I also came from, right? So it's, the value is there, right? Open to the concept, right? As long as we can drive value. I wouldn't say that it's just purely applicable to the tech sector, but of course, the first mover, it has been, it has been fronted by the tech sector, right? Like people from the tech sector call itself fractional and of course, these services is very popular, is generally more well-known in the tech sector, but in traditional companies, um, it's also flat. So when you start speaking to all these more traditional companies about the concept of fractional, what are some of the challenges or perhaps some of the misconceptions that they commonly raise to you? Beginning, they will say, okay, what's the difference between you and a freelancer? What's the difference between you and a consultant, right? And like, why do I, if I have a marketing team already, do I really need you? That, that, these kind of questions do pop up. And that's also why um, we, do offer, we do offer two kinds of services. Now. One is hiring our team on a fractional basis. The other one is basically hiring us by project, which is a very traditional, is that, you know, very like the traditional agency model. And how do you select perhaps your pool of yeah. fractional marketing people? I would imagine you probably have some of them on standby, a group of them that maybe you solicit when you have projects. How do you go about shortlisting them? Ex-colleagues, connections that I've worked with before and I can guarantee their quality of work. Lah. So that's how I select my team members. That said, I must also say that Otterhub has been around for nine months, relatively new. And we, so far, I think apart from Refesh, which is a sustainable fashion brand who engaged us as on a fractional basis for partnerships, for partnerships program, we are still trying to grow that fractional business because as with every other client, because we are new, right? Of course, sometimes that could be being on this show might give us some credibility. But that said, when clients talk to us, they read about us, they want to try us out first. Right. And that's when they hire us by project. Then they realize, hey, actually, they, there's a good fit. They actually really can drive value. And that's when they continue this relationship through my fractional model, my fractional marketing services. So far, we've worked on Refresh on this. And very interestingly, they, I mean, we, with this three months engagement, it was also my proof of concept because I'm not sure whether it might work. So I went to them and they say, hey, Cass, I think, you have experience in partnerships, very interesting. And we have a ongoingly always have this inbound from fashion brands or mall operators or malls coming to them and say they want to partner. But there isn't a program that they can recruit these partners in, right? So that's when we came in. We developed a program alongside them, even lead source to put the right partners in front of them. I even helped to pitch on behalf of the founder and managed to secure three partners for refresh. So that also helped them in more, close to 40,000 savings in terms of value. And eventually they're quite happy about it. So that was, that actually gave me a, like some confidence of, hey, maybe this could work out, right? So after that, I started to talk to other people and this is our case study. Thankfully, they are very nice people. They allow me to use them as their case study, right? And now I'm actually getting interest. But of course, usually they'll start with a project class. And then after that, they thought, hey, I think our fractional services could work and there's flexibility to it. 
So maybe, so we can work, that, work on that route. Since you have already been doing this for some time, for people who may aspire to get into this fractional space, be it marketing, finance, whatever it is, anything you believe they should look out for, any prerequisite they should achieve first before they even think about crossing the fence? You would have already been very good in a niche. Whether or not you are in marketing or a niche within marketing, right? And I think that's number one. I think secondly is you are, you are quite experienced. Right. And I think experience, depending on some people's experience, meaning as a fractional CFO, CMO, CHRO, your experience can mean more than 10 years, but you are just trying to be a fractional, I don't know, marketing lead, then maybe it can lesser, right, in, in that space. But I, want, what, what I think apart from that, I would say that when I started, I realized that there's a, a lot of people, previous connections, friends or friends who wanted to work with me in the past and always needed a marketing person. But because in the companies that I was, it wasn't convenient. I was was having full-time jobs and the conversation never come up. So that's when, then because now I started to do my own and then that's when I started to support them on either part-time basis, project basis. But it's interesting, right? Because they, they probably see how you work. They probably want to work with you, but they didn't want to even approach you until you started to do your own thing. And that's when, you know, we can work together. So I guess connections, just just look out for people who you have worked with before. Connections, just stay in touch. Really, that's what I realized out of this venture is that sometimes things really would take me by surprise. And I really didn't expect the very the positive response when I came out to do my own thing. And I realized that, oh, wow, my ex-colleagues, friends, they're all like so supportive. So yeah, keeping your people who you work with before, I think that would, uh, that, that would actually make quite, keeping contact, that would make quite a lot of sense. My current journey is actually my second attempt. Around 2015 or so, I was doing career coaching. It wasn't sustainable. And when I left my last job due to an argument with my boss, I don't really have a backup plan back then. I did interview around, but then I realized, I think I'm just jumping from one hole to another. Why don't I try to be solo again, but let me put up on LinkedIn that I'm doing this and see if I can get something. And interestingly, three projects came in over and above the two teaching assignments, adjunct assignments that I have. I've dropped the teaching assignments because I realized I don't like to teach, but assignment-wise right now, I still have three. Come and go, but I think the key thing is very similar to what you said. You need to have a niche within a niche. You have to be very, very niche down. You cannot just say, oh, I do marketing for all B2B business. No, I don't think that will work. So for me, my positioning is more of I do marketing for HR tech vendors. Very specific. And that allowed me to reach out to Singapore plus minus maybe about 200 to 300 HR tech company. And given my own bandwidth and also my own preference, I may not want to max out. Maybe I want my four-day work week. So I just take on three assignments. So three out of 200 over is a very small percentage. I just need to hit that small percentage and it's enough for me. Already. So I think the niche has to come first. Then of course, once you have the niche, you really have to broadcast the hell out of it and try to maintain that consistency across all your positioning. I actually learned it the hard way. I think two, three months, because when I started out, right, I wanted to be a marketing consultancy agency mm-hmm. that helps tech company grow with no idea of what stage of growth the startup's going to be, 
what category I thought I can do it all. But I realized after talking, so how I narrow it down is after talking to B2B, because I think one of my strategies is also to reach out to VCs, like accelerators. And I think just so happened now, I guess the climate, a lot of B2B firms are being mm. invested. Like the funds are going there, not B2C. So that's when I started to talk to B2, the VCs that introduced us to B2B portfolio companies. And then I found myself, because my experience has always been B2C. Like my previous company is just one year of B2B, but most bulk of my experience is B2C. So that's when I thought, wow, it's taking me. So for me to talk to them, I find myself convincing them, trying so hard to convince them that they should work with me. When for a B2C company, I was like, okay, I just need half an hour and I know I can deliver value for you. And they know that I can deliver value for them. So when I realized that, I'm like, oh my God, why am I trying so hard? And that's when I started to, okay, maybe this isn't the industry that I want to focus on. So that's why I, I start to do, know what I don't want. And I, at least I'm not sure whether I can deliver value and just do things that I feel definitely I can de deliver value on. So that's one, right? And then after that, I also start to realize, <laughs> sorry, so many learnings. I also start to realize that when big organizations, of course, they wouldn't talk to me, right? Like your growth stage, mature stage, they won't talk to me because like, why would they? would rather talk to your likes of Bain or even like bigger agencies that have a consulting arm, right? That is specialized for tech. So that's when I also realized, hey, maybe my sweet spot would be the post product market fit stage all the way to series B. And that's how I start to narrow down my post. Maybe Adrian, we talk next six months later when we talk, maybe my niche will be, my focus will even be narrower. But at least this is why I, where I feel my sweet spot is. Yeah, yeah, I think it's always good to start really narrow because you can, it's easier to go narrow and then go wide rather than the other way around. But to start off from a stance of what you don't like, I think it's a good direction. You may not know clearly where you want to hit, but if you know it is not the east, at least you won't go up in the east direction. And then everything else will somehow start to make more sense. I'd like to flip it around for companies that may be keen to yeah. explore fractional services. And perhaps it's the first time they may want to consider. What are some mm. of your advice you may have for them in, mm. in how they should go about selecting the right person for this job? The pool of fractional leaders is not a lot in Singapore. I think that's number one. I think secondly, with that, then finding the right one is even tougher. But as with every other, I guess, as with every other interview process, right? If let's say a founder want to interview potential marketing lead hire, I mean, I'm talking from a marketing point of view, like or, or CMO or even like VP of marketing hire, some form of firstly, chemistry. Secondly, I think the belief that the business would do well, right? And the candidates believe that the business is heading to somewhere. And also believe that, uh, I guess, in terms of the track record and experience, they must be, they must have done something similar that you are trying to get out of this. There must be, they must have delivered some growth metrics or marketing metrics in the past in the work that they did. So that roughly they are able, they can have amazing culture fit. Depending again, depending on where, which, what stage of the business it is, they can have amazing culture fit, but then if let's say they don't really have the experience that they, you need for them to drive the business forward, also then it's not a match, right? I, I believe, I, I really do feel that it's, a, it's really a, I feel like a hiring a marketing person or marketing lead, but just with the awareness that they are not with you full-time. 
Yeah, but they will be attending your meetings. They will be in line, aligned with you in terms of, the, of your QR, OKRs or KPIs. And they would drive your metrics for, or at least uh, execute. And that for me, I, I execute with my client. Lah. So at least for me, execute alongside them, provide some advice so that they are headed towards the right direction. Because your experience, right? But maybe the founder isn't. Uh, and sometimes the founder may have like tech background. They read they and very little business background. So that's when I think your value to the founder is even more. Actually, I feel Singapore has quite a number of such persona. It's just that we had never started with calling them fractional. We call them consultant. There are plenty of consultants. Of course, some of the consultants oh. just come in, lip yeah. service. But I also do know consultants that actually roll up their sleeve and operate no differently from how we describe people who are doing fractional work nowadays. I guess it's more of a alignment of terminology. And oh. also, I personally would not want to be associated as a consultant nah, because consultant, chances are there's always some bad annotation to it, right? A consultant is like trying to sell you snake oil and all that. And usually, it just come here and tell you to do this. You don't really care about results. So it's a different kind of ballgame altogether. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. I think especially for startups, I think there's an emphasis on execution. Right? You can come here and think, strategize, but I will execute at the end of the day. Then it's somebody got to execute, right? And that's why in our services, we actually provide execution hmm. together with the big So at this current stage, what's new for AutoHuff? What are your plans for coming year? We are only nine months old, but we have gotten nine clients and we of course on a metrics front financially we hope to 2.5x our revenue and in terms of client to be honest I also I don't really need to 2.5x my client I just need to make sure that they stay with me right because it is also a reflection of how well we are delivering value if they stay with us right that's it I'm expanding my team a little bit even though I have six seven people in my team I'm the only full-timer but Next month, on, in fact, this month was today's first of that. I'm converting one of them from a part-time hire to a full-time hire. Finally, I'm very glad to be able to do that because I've always thought that my, my team have very good people and I always want to convert them to full-time. But then I just feel like, oh my God, but cash flow is an issue, right? So thankfully, I'm now able to do that. And uh, I'm also hiring an intern. Lah. But slowly but surely, I think we will be able to get there. In fact, in the next two years, three years, I do hope at this lofty goal of being, hoping to be that marketing agency that any B2C or D2C founder or marketer want to work with when they think of marketing. I hope to be top of mind in this people's mind. Last yeah. question before I wrap things up. Why the name Author Half? Glad you asked. I think I am. Firstly, when I selected a name, I wanted it to be a pun on a name so that people can remember, right? So that's, number, that's my first criteria. I want it to be associated with an animal because people, when you think about animal and you think about pun, then you'll be like, okay, maybe you can even make it even more memorable, right? I think, so I think that's too. So I, we chose, we, of course, we, we chose authors. Also another meaning because I'm personally a Singaporean and we are a Singapore-based company, right? Even though we are remote. And I just wanted an animal that has some significance to every Singaporean out there. So that's the reason why we call ourselves other half, other half, the other half of your business. And I think more than that is also why authors are another thing is also because we, the founding team, 
we were from, we were being let go, right, in our previous company. And how authors are like, uh, they generally like to hunt in groups and they really support each other in times of bad, right? This is also a reflection. Their personality is also a reflection of what we got, we went through. And we just thought like, everything just fit so well together. For people who may be keen to learn more about AuthorHub or to find out more about you, where can they go to? They can go to www.authorhalf.co and they can, or they can go to your.authorhalf in our social media platforms, whether it's IG, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, um, to check us out. Awesome. I'll put all this in the show notes. Cassandra, thank you so much for coming onto the show and talk with us all things fractional. Thank you very much, Adrian. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 